Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world today. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Wow, What a Show, and what a show it is. Meeting God in the beginning of the day, watching the beauty of his creation. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens do declare the glory of God, and that day unto day does indeed utter speech and the firmament shows his handiwork, night unto night shows knowledge. This is something that we cannot um, get away from. We cannot escape it. God's way is evident. It is clear. We know that he is powerful and he is able to do everything. Why? Because he created this world. My name is Phyllis. I am the host for this uh, Wow What a Show. And we have a um, podcast episode list at our podcast site. I guess they call it a website, uh, Rehoboth Institute of the Arts. And of course, we definitely invite you to go there uh, to listen to all the recorded episodes. By the way, we shall be recording and uh, that will be there for you. The reading of two books from the Bible that I think kind of go hand in hand, and that would be the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation. And it just has, you know, come across my mind that uh, perhaps many people don't spend a lot of time in the in the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the right name for the book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, and it is also the expectation, the, um, the, the, the prophetic moments in which we can know that Christ has come again and is receiving us into his glorious kingdom, you know, that, that that event is actually going to take place. And so in 
before the year gets too spent. Uh, we want to do that. And I'm inviting, of course, all of you out there in listeners land to join in the reading if you desire. I am just kind of caught up with a lot of things, a lot of business, which is, you know, my life can be that way. I'm praying about it in this new year. I am really quite exhausted from it, don't want to keep going on. And uh, so if I don't get back to you right away, it is because of that. I have responsibilities that I have to take care of until, you know, following through with the plan of the Lord, I um, kind of weed out some stuff. And therefore, um, I'm not always, you know, right on top of it, but I shall get there because God is on the case. I welcome you, Tony Ritchie. It's so good to have you here. And I think I saw freshen indeed. Blessed be the name of the Lord, our God, who always causes us to triumph in him. No matter what I happen to be going through, the Lord is bringing me to the victory because I thank my God that through Jesus Christ, I am always victorious. And so those things that want to hinder me, get me down and all that stuff, uh, stymie me, stop me, <laughs> cannot win because I have the captain of the host on my side. I glorify his name and I give him great thanks. We're going to move right along. Now, something happened last week and I've course need a new phone which I purchased one and spent way too much time trying to get the phone to work um so th that's one of the reasons why you know I'm oh, I, I'm kind of late uh, on this evening but nonetheless I am going to um uh, move forward with the phone that I have until the Lord uh you know fixes this other thing so there's a lot to the podcast, and um, and we'll get it done. But I want you to know that we're able now to be heard on TuneIn Radio. It's internet radio, and I, I listen to TuneIn a lot for the news and um, for also another, you know, Christian broadcasting station. I've, I've listened for years. And in my email, of course, you know, the opportunity came. And so there we are. The quality of our sound must improve. And, and I told you I purchased some equipment um, and that will be coming forth as well. I need a little help. But we are now on Internet radio. And so you don't need a link. You can just go look for Rehoboth Institute of the Arts on TuneIn Radio. And there will be the episode list as well as um, access us from the podcast app that you have on your smartphone. If you simply touch that app and you go in. We hope with the Institute of the Arts, you search that and we'll come up as well. So with that, I want to say, you know, last week I'm telling you about the phone and uh, the storage on the phone, I think is the reason that I was unable to save our last podcast. Uh, my phone was working, working, working. It just wouldn't stop. So I hit something and it did stop. And, and there with it went <laughs> the podcast. And all all glory be to God. He knows what he wants to keep and what's he, what he wants to get rid of. So I'm going to do sort of a re 
um, stating of last week's podcast, I am going to hopefully do a, a better job, a more organized job. And so you may leave tonight with something that you can actually uh, apply to your life uh, in practice. So um, bear with me as I go, because, they, you know, anyway, I shall make no more uh, excuses. <laughs> My friend says there's always a disclaimer with you guys when you cook. You know, I always say, well, you know, I'm not the best cook in the world and all that stuff, but I'm not making any disclaimers tonight. I'm just going to uh, plow right in and plow through. And by the grace of God, we will all be able to walk with something that is good. Father, we thank you so much for your attention and your care toward us. You have never left us, even when we were not, you know, even close to being obedient. You didn't leave us and you didn't forsake us. And you, through the redemptive plan and the work of Jesus Christ, have reached down, condescended, the Bible says, to mankind that we ourselves, Lord God, could be rescued from that awful grip of the nature of man to do wrong, to choose wrong, to not have the capacity to see beyond what the eye can actually put in its uh, focus. But God, there's a sight that is greater, and you have indeed healed our blindness. We are so grateful for that. You've caused our ears, Lord God, to be able to hear from your Spirit, to hear your voice through and by the Holy Spirit, so that we can be directed, guided, Lord God, and convicted of our sins that brings us to repentance. We thank you, Lord, too, that in the process of our sanctification, you have healed our gait, our feet. We have been healed from our lame condition so that we can walk after you. We can follow your way. Lord, as you guide and lead us, this we praise you for and thank you for, Lord. This is miraculous in me, and I glorify you. I thank you, God, for continuing to do that, even as we go through this podcast tonight, that you will guide the words that are spoken and let the hearers, Lord, bear in mind those things that you have indeed ordained for them to hear. That and only that, and I pray and thank you again in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May our God continue to uh, take us right through this night so that we are, are um, you know, able to, to pull out, lift out the information that is meant for us. And um, last week I did call this lesson, this podcast, it was... Um, Day by day again, uh, lessons from Jesus Christ. Tonight, it is lessons from the life of Jesus Christ. I've, I settled on that because that's exactly what uh, the the aim is in the uh, these next couple of podcasts. And that is to look at the every event of Christ's life on the earth and draw out of it the main point, the lesson that we can apply and create in us an awareness of our relationship to him. Really, if he lives in us, then we should be able to walk after his way, right? He lives in us. That power is in us. 
to live a righteous life. So humility, again, I'm going to give us the, the definition one more time. Humility is the opposite of bragging. It's um, staying modest about who you are, knowing yourself and your own status. But we should not confuse humility with low self-esteem. That is not humility. It doesn't mean that you're insecure or that you lack confidence. It rather means that you appreciate your talents without being boastful or without thinking yourself better than other people. I, now, I want guys to, for you to really take this in, really take it in. I don't know what your life has been like, but I know what mine has been like. And I know that many times I have been uh, accused of, without even knowing why the accusation came, of uh, being, uh, you, when I was in high school, folks saying you think you're cute, other people saying you think you're better than somebody else, all that stuff going on, right? And you want to know where this is coming from. Well, I, the Lord gave me a little poem, and, and I, I can't remember the whole thing, but none. it began this way. Um I can feel you watching me, but I cannot feel what you see. I don't know what you are perceiving when you look at me, but I can feel you watching me. It actually was about being a dancer. And uh, I really liked the poem very much because it really expressed exactly some of those issues that I was living through and trying to reconcile. I have always tried to treat people with kindness, right? However, I am sure that there were times when my drawing back from the activities of others and engaging in some of those things that people do, like talking about folks and, you know, I'm not totally innocent all the way, but that I used to fear to talk about other people because in my home, my mother had pounded it in us so much that I just had a reluctance to do that and have been uh, criticized heavily for it. So the humility that, I mean, I don't know what they thought they were, they were seeing, but that part of me that had learned to restrain from certain behaviors, not all, certain, rendered me a person of interest, I shall say, to others. And in it, I was not pretending altogether. I was being obedient to my mother. And then, the, of course, the day came when I wasn't quite so obedient, but at that time I was. So just remember what Humility is not. It is not that false kind of pretentious thing that people kind of do to make themselves look right, but rather it's an appreciation of who you really are, knowing yourself, looking at the great gifts that God has bestowed upon you, and even the great uh, opportunities and doors that he, he's opened and being grateful, not boastful, just grateful. Jesus Christ is in his life the ultimate example of humility. And of course, would he not be? He is God. And Jesus, knew, he knew everything because God knows everything. And so he knows and plans for us to walk in such a way as to truly give us an abundant life a peace-filled 
life, a life that is uh, devoid of those tensions and stressors that come when we try to please people or we pretend to be who we are not or we scratch to get in a position where we are really don't fit. We are better off when we practice humility. And him being the ultimate example, his humility was simply, and ours too, the surrender of all of himself to God in order to allow him, God, to do in him, Jesus Christ, whatever he, God, pleased. See, that's all it is. Your surrender to the Lord that through you, he may do what he wants. After all, you are his purchased possession, as am I. So he is the ultimate. And um, uh, so God to do in him, to do in him what he pleased. And whatever men around him might say or do, it is in this state of mind, in this spirit and disposition that the redemption of Christ has its own virtue and its efficacy. Now, virtue. Virtue is a high moral standard. That's all it is. That's what it is. And that's a lot for it to be. Yes, Mummy Tony Ritchie writes us, Jesus is knowing God he knows everything about us before we were created because um, he is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And you just quoted from the book of the Revelation. Indeed, that is so. So Jesus then, being submitted to God, allowed himself to be a man, formed a, a body, placed in this, this earthly body to show us exactly what righteousness is all about. So the term, the humiliation of Christ, is definitely from Protestant doctrine, and it consists of, it includes a, 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 a description of the rejection and sufferings that Jesus received and accepted according to uh, God's plan. From the beginning, God had a plan to reconcile mankind back to himself, and it is written in the book of the Genesis, chapter 3, verse 22, that he uh, made coats of skin and clothed Adam and Eve after they disobeyed and he was getting ready to expel them from the garden. And if you remember, he also told the angels to let's put these flaming um I think it's flaming swords or fire or something at the gate so they could not go in and eat from the tree of life lest they would remain in their sin and they would never have been able to come back from that because the tree of life was there to keep them alive forever. And there is a fountain of living water in the new uh, Jerusalem, the new heaven, the place where we shall inherit forever. That also is from the book of Revelation. And we won't ever die. So God did us all a favor in getting them out of that garden, away from that tree, 
so that redemption could actually happen. And God, having done that, exercised in himself the good for man, which brought his own part of himself, the word which dwelt with him and is him, the word becoming flesh, Jesus Christ, set out in humility for Jesus Christ then to go through the humiliation that took him to the cross. So redemption was set in motion and therefore the birth of Jesus Christ was always to come to be. Jesus Christ, the word of God, became man as the son of God. And the Bible is it never leaves off the only begotten. And this is, it's written in the book of John that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Look, look at that. Didn't even receive him. Now, to be able to endure such a thing, you really do have to be submitted. He came and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of men, even uh, the son of God, I'm sorry, even to them that believe on his name, which were born Jesus Christ. Him who we believe on was uh, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God's redemption, his plan begins with this act of humility, which is the chief characteristic of the entire life of Christ in the earth. It is written in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, I shall read, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now, you know, I know you've heard this scripture before, but I want you to really ask God to open your ears tonight and mine to hear it in a different and more profound way in understanding what God has done and how we, if he lives in us, must also come to be. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. That's amazing. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. Last week, I highlighted the baptism of Christ as the first act of, you know, uh, of, um, of his life to show us how to live. But it really was, I said again, in the birth. Jesus having cooperated, being, being in the Godhead. Now, this is a lot to swallow. And I guess really to, to, to perceive it, you have to do, uh, do whatever you do, fast and pray or whatever. But God... God. Today it came to me. God, right? His words, when he speaks, power. And the power of the word is a part of God. God, when he acts, there is righteousness and power. And the, the actions of God, the Holy Spirit, but all coming out of who? God. God being the centrality 
of the uh, manifestation of himself through the only begotten son, through the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. That all is God. And so God himself comes in a humble way and forms a part of who he is, that spoken word, in this man, Jesus, who then goes to the cross for the redemption of the whole of the whole world. And uh, he's showing us how to live the abundant life, living in his peace and conquering the fleshly nature that we inherited from the fall. It is written in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John, to the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need not to baptize you and you are coming to me. I need to be baptized by you, but you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John indeed baptized Christ. Can you imagine that? The great God, the greater, the one who actually created John <laughs> comes to John to fulfill all righteousness now for whose sake? Our sake, for the sake of all who would hear his gospel, for the sake of those who would receive his redemption, that we might know and understand righteousness. Tony writes, uh, Tony Ritchie in the audience with us says, even in times of our rebellious personalities, he did not judge us, but he rather gave us eternal life through his holy blood that was shed many centuries ago on the cross. Absolutely, he came to save, to redeem and adopt us from those captivities and the bandages we were going through, the, the, the things that we suffered, that uh, sinful nature of ours, right? Thank you, Tony. So Jesus, the greater, coming to the one of his creation to fulfill righteousness. He's showing us what to do. And so uh, John baptized him. And when he had baptized him, Jesus came up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, guess what? Now, Jesus Christ knew that he was pleasing God. I am so sure of it, right? But he still was uh, doing exactly as, as the plan was. He was focused. He did what he needed to do in order to complete the work that God gave him to do. And so um, the other thing that I want to highlight here is that, that when Christ uh, was baptized by John and he, when it was over, when he came up, right, the voice from heaven spoke. So when we yield ourselves to God, the, the, the it's written, and I think it's, excuse me, in, in second Peter, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, in other words, you commit, you submit, you obey, you do what you're told, you're guided, and you and you walk after the Spirit. There is great reward. Jesus Christ was validated here. 
God spoke openly and aloud. Jesus didn't have to do it for himself. God did it for him. So the exaltation comes from God when we humble ourselves, when we submit, when we do what he leads and guides us to do. I, t- I said last week, you know, I'd read this article and I, I, I might get in a little trouble for this. I hope I, I don't, but I'm going to read from this article. It's, a, it's an excerpt from uh, an article from Mind Tools, Mind Tools. Um, it's a, a site on, it's an organization or something. I got this from the web, the web page, uh, a book by an author whose name is Bruno Martinuzzi, and it's called The Leader as a Mensch, colon, subtitle, Become the Kind of Person Others Want to Follow. Now, a mensch is a Yiddish word, and it means a person of integrity. Become that person, and people will want to follow you. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to live in that kind of integrity as a leader, because there are temptations all around you all the time. And those temptations are not necessarily somebody coming up telling you or trying to make you do something. The temptation is from your inner person as people are perhaps talking about you, mistreating you, refusing to follow after you, trying to pull you down so that they can get themselves up. But if you are a person of integrity, if you determine that you're going to live after Christ and let his life in you take the lead, then you become a person that others want to follow. So being humble according to, and I'm going now into the excerpt, being humble allows you, me, all of us to explore who we are. It assists us in investigating our strengths, our weaknesses, our abilities, and mistakes internally. You know, it's a funny thing. People just hate to be wrong. And I'm saying now that, you know, I, I used to be a person. I didn't want anybody to call me out on things wrong because I wanted so bad to be right. But I was wrong a lot, right? And I'm grateful to God for the family I was born into. I'm telling you, when you are one of 12, 13 children and you got a mother and father who themselves are very strong, (laughs) you don't really get by with being wrong very often. There's someone always there to knock you on on the little noggin there and say, what in the world are you doing? And the, um, the, the, the leaders there, the mother and the father in my family were people who themselves were, um, you know, after, after Christ, they weren't superheroes, but they were a righteous minded people. So that knock on the noggin was usually backed up with some profound, wonderful uh, word of God or some very clever quote that supported the righteous way. And so I grew up being accustomed to uh, having people tell me I was wrong. And therefore, I guess it might have been maybe, I don't know, a little easier for me to begin to accept that I 
am wrong many times. So being humble is a part of being able to say, you know, I don't know it all. I can't be it all. I can't do it all. And the, and what I can do, this is the part of it that I can do and not the whole matter. Being able to see yourself. And this whole ability to do that is called sometimes an internal gaze. I have been calling it self-assessment. Look into yourself first. Do not look to others. The Bible says that. You know, what is the scripture? You, you are trying to get the beam out of another's and you won't take the plank out of your own. We can easily see other people don't want to look back and see us. We, it would be easy for you to see yourself too if you would take the time to look. Or, you know, if we would take the time to look. And we should take that time because it is really freeing when you do that. Some believe that being humble is lowering our opinion of ourselves or criticizing ourselves for past mistakes. This is a false conception because humility does not entail criticism or condescension. Now, this condescension is in the negative sense, looking down on others or looking down on yourself. Down mean, you know, looking uh, at yourself as one who is not worthy or whatever. It entails a true understanding of ourselves, which is neither affected or changed because others have an opinion of who we are or because of their behaviors towards us, around us, or whatever they're doing. Right? So among the many characteristics that distinguish uh, some companies, leaders, um, in their in their uh, success, there are some characteristics there is that these uh, leaders direct their egos away from themselves to the larger goal of leading their company to greatness. And I started talking about this last week. And tonight, I'm, I hope I can, you know, I have, it's organized well enough for me to go through it. These leaders are a complex, paradoxical mix of intense professional will and extreme personal humility. They will create superb results, but shun public adulation, and they are never boastful. They are described as modest. Are you modest? Am I modest? I remember I was invited uh, to, after I, you know, I had done some work here and was invited to the big board meeting at the company that I work for. And um, I didn't understand it because the work that I had done, it was a great success, of course, but I had been accompanied by my boss who walked with me and, uh, you know, the whole team had been there. So when I went to the meeting, I, I didn't know why I was there in the first place. Thank God I didn't. Uh, and they asked me to speak. And I gave all credit to my boss and to the other people who worked with me. But I surely did recognize them. And the recognition of that boss gave her a real uh, promotion. And it didn't bother me at all. 
that that happened because she had she had um she had a knowledge that I didn't have. I had an idea, but she was knowledgeable. And so she was able to, you know, broadcast this work that we would do it. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Out and and it it, it it led to someone from the state coming uh to to hear what well, not all the, the ideas were mine, but if it had not been for uh my boss, it would have been in the shadows because that's where I work. I don't ever like, you know, voice my uh, ability to do this, that, or the other because you know, I'm not that that necessarily confident. I know what I can do, and, and that's what I do. But if it's going to get any um, real attention, I need somebody else to do that. That's not who I am, and, and I don't try to be that anymore. It doesn't work for me. So that's what these... Uh, leaders who are exemplary in their success without the public, uh, you know, lording over them, lording over them and calling them out in big terms. These guys focus. Isn't that like Christ? Christ did not give himself, he didn't walk around trying to make himself, uh, you know, a successful minister. He didn't try to build a mega church. He did not need uh, to be on this board, that board, or any board. He did what he did. He was focused. And he needed no one carry his reputation because his reputation spoke for himself. And he didn't come to be famous. He came to do the will of his father and to complete the work of redemption so that the whole world would benefit. What better way to live a life? And the pressure of whatever it is we try to do when we try to make ourselves wonderful, that pressure is gone. You're living the abundant life then and only then does it begin. That's my belief. Freshen says uh, it would help to look at ourselves as contributors to avoid centralizing ourselves or feeling too confident or self applauding That is a good statement, too. Absolutely. And uh, if I was, you know, sitting here, I would be taking notes for sure, not only just in what I'm hearing out here, uh, but what is coming through in the in the uh, chat. Uh, welcome to everyone. Frischen Corker, uh, uh, of course, oh, Tony, I think I saw Reams. All of you, Sharice, God bless all of you. So glad you're here. And we continue. So one example of, of a leader, as as I have uh, de described, they are these leaders who don't um, focus on themselves. One example of a leader who epitomizes humility is David Packard. I mentioned him last week. He is the co-founder of Hewlett Packard, who... In Jim Collins' word, whoever Jim Collins is, defined himself as an HP man first and a CEO second. <laughs> Contribute, you borrow the word. That's okay. It's a good one. Um, he's, a, he's a HP man first and a CEO second. And Jesus Christ went one further. He says he was the uh, savior, the door, the way. And, and there was no second. 
That's just what he was. That's just who he is and continues to be. But that this is an earthly man. Now, listen to him. I'm thinking these people must have read the story of Christ because he says he was a man of the people practicing management by walking around, shunning all manner of publicity. Packard is quoted as saying, you shouldn't gloat about anything you've done. You ought to keep going and find something better to do. And I like that. I did quote that last week. Once you've done a good deed, listen, you can't rest on your laurels. Just keep moving and keep doing better things as the Lord has gifted you. And one of the things that I always say, and and I've spent a lot of time just really thinking on the parable of the talents, right? I'm thinking that those talents are the very deposit that God has put in each man as if you and I deposit money in an account. You're looking for a return. Well, stocks, right, these days, because these banks are not giving me very much at all. But you, that you, you're expecting the money to do something. And if that money doesn't do anything, you say, no, take that money. Like, I, I bought into a stock through the advisement of these people who did it. I've lost every dime that I put in it. Every dime, it just went on down to nothing, right? (laughs) It was no sense in me trying to sell it because I would not have gotten back any bit of that money. And it didn't fall slowly. It fell fast. That is a wasted deposit. And that's what I believe God sees when he sees us shirking in our lives with regards to that deposit that he has put in us. There are people who are very content to do not very much at all with regards to the building. Listen, we can't build God's kingdom. He built it and we can, what we can do is be a witness. We are the witnesses. I don't like, well, I can say we maybe we can build it, but I don't like to use that word build because it, you know, our, our language hooks us up sometimes. You think building means to what? I don't know, uh, uh, you know, stack things up or, you know, make things bigger, 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 or uh, grow, 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 grow. And it could mean that, but not for the sake of those words, rather for the sake of salvation of many souls and however God will allow us to do that. And for the, wait a minute, the salvation of souls and the continued reckoning of ourselves dead in this flesh that we might also inherit the life of God and therefore live forever in his presence. Right. So there's another great man whose name is Patrick Daniel, CEO of North American Energy and Pipeline Company in Bridge. He espouses two leadership attributes. One, determination to create results and two, humility, shifting the focus away from himself and continually recognizing the contributions of others. He says, I have learned through the lives of great leaders. He said again, quote, greatness comes from humility and being at times 
self-defacing. Erase yourself from the picture. Now, how many of us are willing to do something like that? Hmm. Can you just step back? You know what I figured out when I, as as dance, you know, the, the old dance body comes to its um, moment in time when the tension is there and you know something is not quite the same. <laughs> I began to choreograph, but I had started choreographing uh, once I left New York and I decided, wow, watching that product, creating it and watching it back was far more exciting than performing it. Isn't that something? And, they, you know, I I used to tell um, my mom and all their people who said you should be a teacher. And I said, I, I don't want to teach. I want to do. I want to be the one doing. I don't want to be the one teaching. And I meant that. And so for those, you know, the first years of my strength there, I was doing. But then I discovered that there's another do. And the other side of doing is creating and watching that creation come to pass, seeing it in action. And I can imagine that the heart of God is so well pleased when he sees the effect of salvation on the lives of the few, by the way, because there'll be few that find this narrow way. Oh, God, make us not be in that number. Help us, Lord, to not be in the number of the, those who don't find it, but to be in the number of the few. Finding it, working it out, making sure that we meet the criteria of the life of Christ living in us. I'm so serious, all of you. Clearly, these leaders and many others like them don't espouse the meaning of humility as meek or, you know, timid or under the shadows or in the shadows. On the contrary, it is a source of their strength. But the notion of being self-effacing is one that we struggle with in our competitive culture. Hear it, prescribing that we take every opportunity to toot our own horn and that we don't dare leave the house with our dynamic elevator speech all rehearsed. Oh, my goodness. Listen, if you worked in nonprofit or, you know, in profit, whatever you worked, you've probably been around all of this. And it is so exhausting to, to be amongst people who do this that I probably become very timid. I just, you know, fall back. I don't like to be where there's a great deal of competition. And I don't like to have to, uh, you know, make myself look good because I don't know how to do that. So it's very uncomfortable for me. I suppose if I knew how, I would be one in, right in there with the rest of them, you know, doing that crazy stuff until the Lord would uh, um, really convict my heart. And over the years, the exhaustion of it all has turned not just from not being able to do it, but just simply that I don't want to do it and I don't want to be around it. But that's that's years in, in Christ. You see, I've been at this for a very, very, very long time. In earth years. It's not nearly as long as I'm going to be at it in, in the eternal. Because there are no years there. It just goes on forever. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Um, okay, so... 
um, let's see, we often we often confuse humility with timidity. Humility is not clothing ourselves in an attitude of self-abasement or self-denigration. Uh, Humility is all about maintaining our pride about who we are. Now, I'm going to take that word again because uh, our soul makes their, its boast in the Lord. And what we have, it is written in the ninth chapter, I believe, of First uh, Corinthians. What you have, you have been given. And if you have been given it, you cannot boast. There is no boasting. If God gave you who you are, the things that you can do and the things that you are, every time it turns out to somebody else's, you know, uh, good, good uh, comments, you are to give glory to the Lord. Because what we have, we didn't give ourselves. We did not. God gave it to us. And the ability to produce or to make anything wonderful or to do anything that comes close to being called good, we should really say, oh, Lord, you know, my good friend could sing. Oh, my goodness, my friend could sing. When she sang, I cried. And when I would, you, you, she finished, you know, a, a performance, I sat in the audience and listened to it when she come off. And I said, oh, my goodness, that was she said, honey. It wasn't me. That was the Holy Ghost. <laughs> she said, she would literally confess how much of it she didn't have under hat. But who could know? But 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 between she and the Lord, it was beautiful. She would always give God the glory in that way. And I don't know if she was self-effacing or uh, self-abasing. I don't know. But she was really good, and I surely loved hearing her sing. So it is the um, antithesis of hubris. Our uh, humility is about our self-worth. It's about what we know about ourselves, but it is not hubris, another word for pride. It's not pride. That excessive arrogant thing, which often leads to the derailment of some corporate heroes. It, you know, that, that pride can lead to a, well, the, the Proverbs is written after, you know, pride, a fall comes after pride. You fall hard too. If pride is your, is your problem or if, and pride has been all of our problem in, in one, one way or another. You have to kind of see all the faces of pride to recognize it completely. We don't want to uh, fall. We don't want to fall and we don't want the Lord to have to chastise us and, and bring us through and allow us to suffer from our pride. We want to see ourselves repent and practice not doing that. Practice the other thing, esteeming others better than yourselves, taking care of others. You know, it's an other thing with God. And um, the, the, this uh, this article compares that derailment as to those tragic heroes we read in about in, in Greek dramas. But uh, now I've, I've I've done some Greek drama work. You know, I did something in dance with it. But when you listen to the book of Shakespeare, to the writings of Shakespeare, right in the Morris Pavan, well, it's the dance is the Morris Pavan. It is the um, uh, what is Othello, the great Othello, right? Othello. His 
his what was that that he had he was so tragic in that he was so jealous he had no um confidence in the fact that this lovely Desdemona loved him and he thought that she was after his friend Iago they Iago planned it and he brought him right down to his own suicide that is what he's talking about we spin the web around ourselves that causes ourselves to fall. We fall. So he also goes on to say that a dichotomy that is interesting is that often the higher people rise, the more they have accomplished, the higher the humility index. So the, the, those people who are, practice this humility, the higher they get, the more humble they become. Those who achieve the most brag the least. And the more secure they are in themselves, the more humble they are. Quote, true merit like a river, the deeper it is, the less noise it makes. That's a quote from Edric Fairfax, Halifax, Frederick Halifax, I'm sorry. We have all come across people like that, and we certainly admire them. There's also an understated humility of everyday people we work with who have the ability to get the job done without drawing attention to themselves. Witness the employee who is working at his computer into the late hours, purely motivated by a keen sense of duty. The executive assistant who stays after 5.30 on Friday night in an empty office to await a courier or the manager who quietly cancels an important personal event to fly out of town to attend to the company's business. This is akin to the philanthropist who gives an anonymous donation. Humility is a meta-virtue. It crosses into an array of principles. For example, we can safely declare that there cannot be authenticity without humility. Why? Because there is always a time in a leader's journey when one will be in a situation of not having all the answers. Being able to admit this and seeking others' input requires humility. you got to be able to say, I don't know. Remember last week I read a quote? The guy says that... Uh, uh, three of the, the the most wonderful words in the world that will give you great peace and let you sleep at night is, I don't know. I don't know, right? <laughs> a mark of a, a leader who practices humility also is his or her treatment of other people. Those leaders treat everyone with respect regardless of their position. Years ago, this man says in this article, he came across this reference. The sign of a gentleman is how he treats those who can be of absolutely no use to him. Oh, let me tell you. I was just saying to somebody, you know, oh, in, in class, I'm teaching these classes and we read the story of... Um, we do, the, People put down drug addicts every day and alcoholics, and folks who don't kind of look like they're going to, you know, they, they they belong in a boardroom or whatever. You just got these attitudes, 
and ideas about people, people who live in homes and neighborhoods that don't quite look right. We have these, you know, preconceived ideas about the people only to go in there and find some of the finest people that you will ever know. I know because I am grateful to God that first and foremost, I'm one of those people. And secondly, that within the confines of these uh, uh, walls that we build to separate ourselves, we find all manner of great talent. And we find the sufferings that bring us to humility, modesty, understanding. And we begin to hear and know that these woes and troubles that come upon us are not always totally self-inflicted, but motivated rather by maltreatment and neglect. I learned that in the work the Lord gave me. So, hmm, treating people well, that was Christ. He walked. He didn't go to the temple and try to become one of the, you know, the clique of the religious leaders. He came to save men from their sins. He came to establish men and women and children in a righteous life called the gospel. The good news of God's goodwill towards men. And so he walked where the need was. And it is written in the gospel. Jesus Christ says, if you do, you know, if somebody invites you to dinner and, and you reciprocate, what have you done? You have done, you've not done anything. You've done something good when you invite the one who didn't invite you to dinner, who couldn't invite you to dinner. That's when you've done something. That's when we have achieved a little bit of the spirit of our Father, of whom we are born again, by the way. So ways to practice um, humility. How can we practice humility? So there are times when swallowing your pride is particularly difficult and in any intentions of humility fly right out the window as we get engaged in a contest of perfection, each side seeking to look good. If you find yourself in such a no-win situation, by the way, it's a no-win situation, consider developing some strategies to ensure that the circumstances don't lead you to lose your grace. How about that? Try this sometimes. Just stop talking and allow the other person to be right and in the limelight. <laughs> like I said, it's very freeing to do so. And then, of course, those three magical words, he says, that will produce more peace of mind than um, a week at expensive at an expensive retreat is, you're right. 
You know what I finally decided? And when people accuse me of being this way or that, you know, I'm saying, you know, I sometimes I don't see it. And sometimes I do. But the ultimate is if you see it, okay, maybe you're right. Right? I've just decided I'm going to agree with you. And does not Jesus Christ said to the people he's teaching them, agree with your adversary quickly in a parable that he's telling them, quickly agree. It, it, it saves you. Trust me. All right. And then catch yourself if you benignly slip into over-preaching or coaching without permission. Is zeal to impose your view, overtaking your discretion? Is your correction of others reflective of your own needs? Something I ask myself all the time. It's important. Because I am by, by nature one. They've been calling me a mother since I was two years old, I'm sure. Because that's what I do. And I finally realized it's out of my fear for the, uh, for the good of the other person that I'm always trying to correct them and bring them up and say, please don't do that. That's because it hurts my heart. It isn't because I think I'm all that wonderful and, and right. And I thank God that it isn't that, but it's still something that I must watch in my own life. Seek others' input on how you are showing up in your leadership path. Ask, how am I doing? It takes humility to ask such a question and even more humility to consider the answer. <laughs> Have you ever asked anybody, how are you doing? You know, are you so full of yourself that you just know you're doing pretty good, you know? And walking like that little peacock, by the way, the peacock is a male, not the, not the female. That shows all those pretty plumage, you know. Um, I learned that from my girlfriend who wrote the book of breast cancer. She knew, oh my gosh, that book is wonderful. Can't wait for her to come and talk about it. But um, encourage the practice of, of, of humility in your company. Well, it, now I'm going to replace company here with your family. In your own family, encourage humility. I'm telling you, some people do not understand what they do when they raise children to think that they are so wonderful. I, I, I never saw a thing. You can ask my children. If my kids were in a production somewhere or doing something and they were not uh, in good form, I told them so. And I came to a place where no matter what kids do and how they look, how they sound and all that stuff, everybody is jumping up and, and, and uh, applauding. And I'm saying that that you, you're, you're building in the, that person, those children, you're building in them the sense that they are better than they are. Not that they are, they can't get better and do better, but they'll never get there if you don't tell them the truth. Now, I believe in truth. And I do not compliment anybody around me if I don't think it's right. I just soon say nothing as to tell you the, a, 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 a falsehood about what, what you're doing, how you look, what you're saying, and all that stuff. I just don't believe in it. Mm. So practice humility in your own space with your own folks and encourage them to do the same. The world would be a better place if we were all true. If we were just true. 
to ourselves and to each other. And these, the, the article goes on to say that there are so many benefits to practicing humility, to being in a state of non-pretense. My, the, 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 um, my testimony, the ultimate, the overarching thing is I was just a great pretender. And God delivered me from it, trying to be right all the time. And by right, I don't mean right and what, you know, in everything, just trying to act right, you know, present right. And then eventually I fail hard because the pretense never, it doesn't hold up. So you get free from that, right? And uh, practicing humility improves relationships across all levels. Because now in our relationships, instead of, you know, like just not liking what you see, and never saying so, you can say it or you don't have to backbite. You don't have to turn around and say, oh my gosh, you know, smile in my face and knife me in my back or somebody else. You can be free of that. It reduces anxiety. It encourages more openness and paradoxically, it enhances one's self-confidence. It opens a window to a higher self. That's what you do because Jesus walked in humility the whole time. He knew who he was. He spoke as a man with authority. He healed the sick. He laid hands on the dead and they he called forth. He spoke to the demons and delivered people from that. He healed the blind. He healed the He was God in the flesh. And the word says he didn't think it robbery that he should be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and came down here in the form of that man. Humility magnified before our very eyes. You cannot miss it when you look at the life of Christ Jesus. And if that life lives in you and it lives in me somewhere, somehow we ought to look just like him. You can't make yourself do it, but you can submit to him. You can humble yourself under him, knowing that he is God and you are not. You know, I listen to uh, the, the people talk about situations. Oh, and they just know that they know that they know. Things that are so spiritual. Things that have a greater interpretation than what they can ascertain in the moment. But they just know. And there ain't no talking them down. There is no... I listened today to some interviews about this MAGA thing. And I just listened to the people. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, where did that come from? How can you think like that? Right? And this is on factual matters that you can go and just look at the... You can just look at the, the you know, the facts and, and come out with a different altogether... But honey, that's they're so convinced, so convinced, because there is no humility there. I know I'm right, I'm right. That's how it goes. So anyway, just think of this. When this article started, he, he started by saying that somebody in a lecture, he had heard this man say that the, the, the most beautiful world, a word in the English language was the word windowsill. He liked the word. And in French, believe it or not, the, the most beautiful word in French, I hope I can remember, is um, 
Oh my gosh, I cannot remember it. Okay, so Lord didn't want me to say that. Anyway, but I used to love this word. And the translation of the word is S-C-A-B, scab. <laughs> it's scab. Can you imagine that being the most beautiful word? So windowsill for this man is the most beautiful word. But after this discussion on humility, this man ends this article by saying that humility will improve one's self-confidence. It opens a window to a higher self. And for me, it replaces windowsill as the most beautiful word in the English language. So now he's admitting nothing better than humility. No word, no word that speaks so much and is so beautiful in application than this word humility. And I hope tonight that somehow it is meant probably the same to you. I really would like that it would mean the same. It has become a great word to me. And if it is the ultimate uh, application of who Christ is in my life, I want it. And I thank the Lord for it. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, make us humble, Father. And Lord, I'm asking that we don't have to suffer to get there. That through this great mind that you've given us, we actually agree with you regarding how you fulfill righteousness, how you lived, and that we agree that that is the best way to live and that we cooperate with your design and your plan. It is written in the Beatitudes that you taught, first teaching that came, pretty much. It starts with those who shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. It ends with those who shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And all between every other uh, uh, one of those attitudes in there brings us out of the nature of the flesh of man and into the nature of that one Jesus born, not of the will of man, not from the flesh, but of the will of God. This is your will that we should live the abundant life and delivered from the weight of the flesh. God, make it so in us. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that each one of us will consider this very seriously and we will begin to practice humility and reap the beauty of every benefit freeing us from being in pretense. But in truth, Make us pure in heart, I pray. And God, I'm going to thank you for it. For your God who desires that we conquer, giving us victory over this flesh. I praise you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I love you all for being here. Thank you so much for every good compliment that you give, for every compliment. And that you um, 
take time to spend with me and to hear what I have to say. I feel many times, not feel, I know that I am inadequate to do a great job. But I come and I say, Lord God, you can do it. And I'll just be your instrument. So I'm praising him for what he's given me and hope that he has given you in like manner. May the Lord our God bless you and keep you till we rejoin again next week, I pray. Same time. (laughs) You may be in a different place, but I'm pretty much in the same place. Okay. I love you much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night and a great week. Walk with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of all, our Savior and our Lord through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. See you now.